So that's, uh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're starting the series. I, I decided on Wednesday night, I'm just, the, the Psalms, it's this daunting book, right? It's hard to imagine preaching through that like on Sunday mornings because uh, I've noticed people, they get burnt out if you stay in the same area for too long. Um, and, but on Wednesday night, like I, I just I was thinking about what we were going to do now that we'd finished Second Corinthians, and uh, I just kept coming back to the Psalms. And the Psalms, um, the Psalms were a big part of my devotional life during the pandemic. Um, I, I revisited the uh, Book of Common Prayer that we did uh, in one of my intro to ministry classes when I was first setting out on my undergraduate degree. And, uh, and I revisited those with the, some of the extra quiet time that I had during the pandemic and um, revisited a practice of praying the Scripture. Um, and the, the title of this uh, year-long look into the Psalms is going to be Life is a Box of Chocolates because um, the, what, the way that I most often think about the Psalms, read about the Psalms, uh, see commentators talking about the Psalms, and the way, that it was, the way that it was viewed in history amongst the Jews as they uh, followed Yahweh uh, was that it was the answer to whatever you get. <laughs> and Forrest Gump said, my mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And so the Psalms are supposed to be, are, are, were the Israelites' kind of a songbook or hymnal, uh, the book of common prayer for the Israelites the they, uh, outside of the Torah, the Psalms would have been the most familiar scriptures to the Jews. Um, the book of Esther became a big deal to Jews in the latter part of their history, but for most of their history, the Torah and the Psalms were really central to, uh, to their faith uh, and uh, their pursuit of Yahweh. And the, they were essentially, it was uh, a way to deal with all that life threw at you. Uh, we now have the Holy Spirit uh, is, is God's plan through Jesus to help us navigate everything we get in life. And you think about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He told His disciples, you know, don't worry about what you're going to say when you face trials and tribulation because the Spirit will help you recall all that I've said and done. Um, he said that we, we shouldn't worry about Him departing and going to the Father to prepare a place for us because uh, the Spirit would be even better um, so if you ever like think, man, I wish I could walk with Jesus, well, that's a great thing to hope for in heaven, but Jesus actually said it's better that I go to the Father so that you can receive the Spirit. Uh, remarkable to think about, really. Um, so we have the Holy Spirit to help us navigate everything we get in life, but that being said, the Holy Spirit helps us navigate life, not always with just new revelation, with just, like speaking new ideas, or, or sometimes, oftentimes, the way that the Holy Spirit helps us is through that which has gone before. Uh, the testimony of the, and the witness of those who have gone before and, uh, and the stories of our grandparents and the stories of our churches. And we look at those and we, we draw encouragement from those things. Well, also, and especially maybe, uh, we've been given the Scriptures which have been dis- divinely inspired specifically for all of life's surprises, joys, and frustrations. In fact, I just recently uh, read one commentator who took painstakingly demonstrated how the Scriptures are not, it's not just the verses that were divinely inspired, but then even the arrangement, their order um, in, in the Bible, the way that it was collected and uh, put together and put out. Uh, 
he just painstakingly painted this picture that even that was divinely inspired. When you think about how the story all comes together, when you read it as it is, um, it, it's clear that there was a plan even in the way it was put together. And as I said, the tool, the tool of the Old Testament Scriptures for navigating life for the Israelites was the Psalms. It was the Psalm book, common book of prayer for all who worshipped and followed Yahweh. One of the things that God really drove home to me through the pandemic was the Scriptures are not just to teach us lessons, but they are meant to be the substance and the content of what we pray. Um, and if you've come to some of the Sunday night prayers uh, when, for the first year that we did our Sunday night prayer meeting um, on the first Sunday of the month, which I'd just like to reiterate, I think it's the most important thing we're doing in the life of the church. And as I've been... I've, Jeremiah Bullock, the evangelist who was just here not that long ago, has been mentoring me and praying with me on a regular basis. Um, he's been really encouraging me to even expand the vision of prayer in our church. And so you can just be praying for that too. But for the whole first year, we prayed. The way we began our prayer meeting was to just read a section of Ephesians and then have popcorn prayer based on that. And what I'm encouraging people to do is to read that and just to pray what we're reading, uh, to turn that back to praise, to turn that into a surrender of, my, of your heart as you read the Scripture, whatever it directs you toward, to pray it, just to pray those words back to God over yourself. Um, many people struggle to pray, right? We worry about saying the right words. Uh, we worry about asking the right things. But here's the thing is you can't go wrong praying the Scriptures. <laughs> you can't go wrong praying the Scriptures. They were inspired by God to, uh, to lead us through life. And so when you pray them back to God, and you are aligning yourself with His will. He's already spoken His will in the Scriptures. Um, and so like, we, don't, we don't even have to go through and flesh out the Scriptures necessarily. All so one of the things, if you've grown up in the church, when, people, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we flesh out each line of that, and we put meaning to it, and we talk about how you can pray each line. That's great. I think, uh, I think there's plenty of merit to that. But you don't have to flesh out that prayer. You can simply pray those words, and there's power in that. I mean, when Jesus, when Jesus taught His disciples those words, it's far more likely that in that moment, He was simply saying, when you pray, pray these words. Not, when, when you pray, hallelujah, give God worship. And, you know, He didn't give them an acrostic and say this is what it means to pray. He just said, when you pray, pray these words. It's that simple. Uh, in fact, the instruction was, you see the Pharisees coming up with flowery, flowery words and fancy phrases and making a big spectacle of the prayer. Well, when you pray, just do this. Go to a room, close the door, and say this. So... Um, and in a lot of ways, you could consider the Lord's Prayer as Psalm 151. There's 150 psalms. Its structure um, is very similar to a psalm. And Jesus being the scriptural expert that He was, uh, being totally immersed in the Scriptures Himself, uh, it's very reasonable to say, you, when we look at that, we see Jesus essentially giving uh, a psalm of the kingdom of God that's now arrived to His disciples. This then is how you should pray. Uh, and the New Testament is filled with passages that would carry on that tradition. You know, we could, we could look Paul, at Paul's writing and you would see, you'll see him say, uh, I pray for you this. And really what he's doing is he's just writing the next psalm in the book, 152 and, and so on and so forth. The Scriptures are full of promises, of laments, of uh, praise and thanksgiving 
that we can just simply pray back to God and you will be praying a perfect world-class prayer. Um, But first came the Psalms, and they are a great way not just to learn to pray, but a great way to pray all the time. Uh, So however you feel about your ability to pray, the Psalms are a resource that make you a world-class prayer immediately. The Psalms address every aspect of the human experience, the full range of emotion and human needs. So anytime you open a psalm that resonates with where you're at and just pray it to God, it's a world-class prayer. In fact, it's the reason that when we did our Bible reading thing last year, uh, that I included, just, I included the psalms in every day's reading. We were reading everything else, and then we just, I, I was hoping that we would just read through the psalms every day so that we would uh, internalize these offerings of prayer and praise to God. Um, it's completely unassailable to pray Scripture. So take some pressure off yourself and stop trying to generate words and force thoughts when they aren't coming and just use the resource that God has given you already. Now, there are seven types of psalms. Seven types of psalms. Uh, There's actually a bunch of subcategories, but there's seven main types of psalms. Royal psalms, messianic psalms, thanksgiving psalms, uh, imprecatory psalms, which is a fancy way of saying... uh, the Psalms that talk about God's wrath and judgment. Uh, so have, if, you've, if you've read through the Psalms, there's some really like disorienting Psalms where David's basically celebrating the fact that God's going to destroy everything, and those are imprecatory Psalms. Uh, lament Psalms, um, enthronement Psalms, and wisdom Psalms. And wisdom Psalms is what we're going to start with today. So what I'm going to do as we teach through the Psalms this year is I'm going to cover one of the seven types of Psalms um, and then in the following weeks, teach from somewhere between two or two or more of those types of psalms. Okay, so wisdom psalms is what we're covering today, um, and I think it would be helpful to define wisdom. So you've probably heard that wisdom is knowledge applied. Is that a definition that you've heard? It's one thing to know something; it's another thing to apply it to live it, um, which is true. But in my opinion, not a grand enough vision of wisdom. It's a, it's, a simp, it's a simple vision. It's a good way to get to the crux of the matter, but not, not grand enough in scope. Uh, so uh, when I think about wisdom psalms, this is how I'd like to define wisdom. Wisdom is what we would pray if we knew and if we saw everything that God knows and sees. Wisdom is what we would pray. It's what we would ask for. It's what we would desire. It's what we would pursue if we knew everything God knows and if we saw everything God saws. Seesaws. Seesaws. <laughs> These are values that we'd hold, things that we'd pray, thoughts, principles, truths we would commit ourselves to wholeheartedly if we were able to know and see everything God does. It's kind of like uh, well child shots. Um, so Macy's birthday this year in March, she'll be turning five, and we were, we, for whatever reason, we're talking about birthdays um, and just kind of beginning to prepare for, I guess maybe we were. Uh, kind of, Casey and I were subtly picking her brain for what she imagines her fifth birthday to be like, and uh, and then also we just like to plant those seeds and sow the seeds of anticipation, right? So we're talking about that, and there's lots of excitement, and then all of a sudden she just her a look of terror comes over her face, and she was like, "Oh no, my birthday's going to be ruined because you have to get more shots when you turn five. You know, after two, you don't get shots when you're three and four. Then you get more shot, and just like in the middle of all the excitement, just immediately she remembered that Joel and Rhett had to get shots at five and began to dread 
her birthday, um, <laughs> which, man, how traumatizing. Now I'm going to be in there when she's screaming. I'm going to be like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Um, <laughs> now, she is at an age where she does understand the purpose of them. I can reason with her and remind her, like, hey, these are for your long-term health. They're preventative. Uh, you know, mommy and daddy love you. We would never, we'd never put you in that situation unless we thought it was what was best for you. It's really motivated by love. But she still doesn't like them, right? Um, and it's even worse when they're babies, right? When they're babies, do you remember this feeling? Nurse Ratchet comes in and starts... <laughs> sorry, it's just... She felt like the enemy when she came in. And uh, she starts sticking them with needles. And not only are you complicit, but often you're the one that's holding them tight while they stick them in. And oh my goodness, it's just the worst feeling in the whole world. I remember Joel had jaundice. And, uh, and we had to take him and he had to go have blood drawn. And man, they just they drew so much blood and they pricked his body. like seemed like a million times. And... Uh, he just, his whole body stretched out and tensed up, and he was frail and tiny. He was losing weight. He was real scary there for the first month or two of his life. Um, and, and I remember holding him while they did this, and just the look, even at a couple months old, of just absolute betrayal and pain, like, wait a second, like, I thought I could trust you. And, and, and then they, they took it, Casey took him behind a curtain to nurse him, and I just sat there, and I had a total breakdown. But I, like, was choking it down so she couldn't hear me, like, and so that I didn't wail and sob in the middle of it. it just, I felt awful and terrible, but I, I told myself, okay, like, I know this is for his good. I know that, that, that in the long run, uh, this is important for his development. But the look on his face was just soul-destroying, Right? And you have to remind yourself that they don't know what I know, right? They, 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 then this, will, this will pass. God gives them a short memory at this age, I suppose, at least for that reason, if not for anything else. Um, and and you, just, you just want to say, if only I could explain to you, if we could talk the same language, it's because I love you. If you knew what I knew and you saw what I saw, you would see the wisdom in all of this and you'd trust me and it wouldn't hurt so bad. So, that means that wisdom prayer is courageous, because it often doesn't mesh with what we see or feel. Um, wisdom prayers often contradict us, but we lean into them because we trust the one who taught us to pray these types of things more than we trust our own feelings and intuitions. That's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is all about. Proverbs is adjacent to the Psalms. Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him or... And, Really what it's saying is acknowledge his understanding and he will make your path straight. In the long run, your journey will lead you where you're supposed to go. So wisdom is what we would pray if we knew what God knows and if we saw everything God sees. So with that in mind, three aspects of wisdom prayer I want to talk about. So this is really what wisdom prayer is all about. This is what wisdom prayer is or how we go about wisdom prayer and, uh, and then we'll talk about who it leads to. So first of all, the first aspect of wisdom prayer is realignment. Realignment. And there are basically two ways to pray, and they're both legitimate, but one can be botched and the other cannot. Uh, the one that can be botched is what's called intercessory prayer. And the way that it is botched is when we ask for things that God doesn't want for us or whoever, whatever we're praying for. Okay, so... 
you can intercede, but sometimes you can pray the wrong things uh, for the wrong reasons. Formative prayer, on the other hand, is when we simply speak Scripture back to God. When we, when we just pray the things that we already know He said are true, right and true and good. We already know for sure are His will. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't pray as intercessors. Jesus taught that the only way to receive is to ask, right? Ask and it will be given to you. The only way to find something is to seek. Seek and you will find. The only way for a door to be opened is to knock. So sometimes you have to walk up to a door and knock and see if God's behind that door waiting for, just waiting for you to, to pursue Him, right? Um, Jesus taught that. Uh, Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want? He asks the man by the pool of Bethsaida, do you want to be well? Like, so it's within reason to pray intercessory prayer for things that we believe would be good. But sometimes we might discover we've been praying the wrong thing or our heart had the wrong motive. It, in other words, can be botched, so to speak, and not, therefore not work. Because we're not praying God's will. Uh, we're praying something that we don't know enough about or see enough to know why that would or would not be good for us. Um, even so, wisdom prayer is the formative prayer that asks not what I want or what someone else wants, but what does God want? Okay? So wisdom prayer is formative prayer. It's just speaking what we already know to be God's will back to Him, asking not what I want or what someone else wants, but what God wants. The most classic example would be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Not my will, but yours. Uh, the thing is, and this is why it's so important, is the more I pray this way, not my will but yours, that actually the more I can be sure that my intercessory prayers will align with what the will of God is. The more I say, not my will but yours be done, and then His will is done, we start to understand God's will better. Uh, when, it, and when I do pre-marriage counseling, I talk about, um, I talk about good listening and good conversation, and uh, one, of the, one of the keys to good conversation is asking open-ended questions. Um, a lot of times we bring our own presuppositions to conversation, a lot of times we, um, we bring our own, we've already settled the matter in our own minds, and it's more about getting our spouse to agree with us than to like really discover where, I, I like to say that uh, healthy marriage continues to be curious about one another for a lifetime, and uh, so anyway, it's the same thing with God. The way that we will grow in intimacy and relationship with God and that we'll begin to under... If you want to know God's will, it's coming to Him with open-ended questions, not presuppositions about what I want and what I think is best for me, but to say, but to ask open-ended questions about what He wants and what He feels and what He sees and what He knows and to learn from that and then, to be, and then you will grow more in sync with Him and you'll find that you can trust more and more that you can pray and know for sure that you're praying God's will whether you feel a strong impression or not. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul talks about walking in the Spirit. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 2, I think it's verse 15 and 16, he says, uh, he says that we, we walk in the flesh, or the world walks in the flesh, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So not just, not just we have the character of Christ, because when we say we have the character of Christ, and we subconsciously think, well, He speaks over us, He moves in us, and the character comes out. But we can actually have the mind of Christ. We can think like Jesus th thinks and pray like Jesus prays and see the world like Jesus sees. Wouldn't that be something? You, if you're like me, you're like, I don't know, not me. But I am. I, 
learning. Uh, being, I, how many of you have ever heard me say from the pulpit, I have no idea what I'm doing? But I'm just, I've said that a few times over the years, a lot of times. When I first moved here, I said it a lot. I still feel that way all the time, but I am learning in intimacy with God that He is giving me His mind. Uh, he's giving, and I, I can speak with a boldness that feels out of place. It feels out of place to tell someone 25 years my senior that I'm sure that I know what God wants in, a, in any given moment. Uh, that feels strange, and yet we can know, we can go, grow to a place in, as we grow in intimacy with God that we can speak and know that His mind is working and speaking through us. What do you think about that? Any... Is that wild to think about? Is that, have you thought about that before? We can have the mind of Christ. Uh, and we do that by realigning ourselves with, with God by saying, not my will but yours. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he gives them a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that is saturated with God's concerns from start to finish. When you read that prayer, it, it begins with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right away. It's, ta- it's taking prayer away from us and our desires and putting it on God's greatness. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, which oftentimes we talk about this as the place that we ask our intercessory prayers. But in the language of Israel, what this really means is help us to trust that you will give us enough for today. Help us to rest on the fact that the manna that we collected will be enough and there'll be more tomorrow. It's really it, I mean, sure, certainly it's appropriate to ask God, like I said, for desires, the desires of your heart. But really what this is about is saying, first and foremost, I trust that you, are giving, you will give me what I need regardless of whether I get what I ask for. You know what I mean? Uh, forgive us our debts, which might seem selfish until you read the next line, which is, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Again, God's concern, not our concern. Whenever we talk about God loving us, God also, is, God also is speaking over us, now go love your neighbor likewise. Uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Uh, reject your flesh, reject the temptation that you have thought ruled you, because now you are ruled by the righteousness of the kingdom of God. The whole prayer is about God's concerns rather than our own. It's about realignment. Uh, this prayer is really like a series of well-child so- shots. And some of it makes sense to us at any given time. Some of it doesn't make sense to us. But we pray it because we trust the one who has declared his love for us and committed himself to our care. We pray the wisdom prayer to be formed or reformed, to be realigned. So praying a wisdom prayer is a humble acknowledgement that we are bent and we need straightening out, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Praying a wisdom prayer is, an, is a humble acknowledgement that we are bent and we need straightening out. An acknowledgement that we are unformed, unfinished clay, and we need the potter to come in and maybe spin us around a little bit. It might be disorienting, but we have to trust that the potter is forming us. Think about yourself as a piece of pottery on a wheel and spinning round and round. Like sometimes life feels that way, right? You might have to heat you up a little bit, right? Uh, get some of that moisture out so that uh, certain things get fastened in place. Or he might need to pour more water on you. And at the time, you just feel like, man, when it rains, it pours. You're drenching me, God. But he needs, you need to be wetter so that he can form a really difficult area of your life and then put you back in the heat to fasten it in place, right? All in order to form us, though. He sees things we don't see. He knows things we don't know. The very first psalm 
uh, which I'll, I'll talk about in more detail next week, but we're going to look at just the uh, outline of it tonight to kind of drive home this point, is a wisdom psalm. The very first psalm of psalms is a wisdom psalm. It draws a contrast between the way of the fool or the wicked, depending on the translation you're reading, and the way of the wise. Now, the way of the wise, first of all, according to the psalmist in verse 2, is to delight in the law of the Lord and trust that the law of the Lord is the source of all blessedness, of all, uh, I hesitate to use this word, but it's accurate, prosperity of heart, soul, well-being. Um, the way of the wise is to trust and surrender yourself fully to the belief that delight and blessedness come from complete surrender to all that God says and wants. The seat of scoffers, on the other hand, by contrast, is death. Proverbs 14 verse 12 puts it this way, there is a way that seems, seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this story is so funny to me. And I, like, this is why I don't want animals, is because I just could never bring myself to pay for something like this. But I have a friend whose dog swallowed a sock, a whole sock, okay? And they had to have a surgery and it cost him $8,000, which <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if y'all would pay for it, I don't, uh, but that's wow. And, but get this, get this, it gets worse. Would you know, do you know what the dog did a week later, $8,000 later, and a whole lot of trial and trouble? He swallowed another sock. Have you ever read the book, uh, <laughs> There Was an Old Lady Who Swallowed a Fly? <laughs> this, is, this, this dog probably was her pet at some point, swallowed another sock. He paid another $8,000 to get it removed. Try and fathom that. He has three kids. I said, you just, paid, you just paid for two years of college to get socks removed from your dog. Uh, <laughs> I don't get it. Um, and so, the, so he told me, like after the second surgery, he told me he was researching how to do surgery himself because he wasn't sure if the dog was going to learn the lesson and he was afraid it was going to happen again. They were trying to be more diligent about not leaving their socks out. And I told him, well, you've already paid for two more surgeries than I would have paid for. Um, so I don't blame you for trying to figure out how to do it yourself. Um, I tell you that silly story because if we insist on remaining bent instead of straightened by God's words, we will be like a dog who, as the proverb says, returns to its vomit, or as my friend's dog says, or does, returns to its socks. Uh, <laughs> a seemingly oblivious fun, but eventually the toll will come due, right? That's, that's what our lives are like, apart from the wisdom and alignment with God. Uh, you, so Eugene Peterson, he's written a book called Eat This Book, which I'm sure my friend's dog would love to do, uh, <laughs> but the, the gist of it is not about eating a book, <laughs> It is, don't just glance at the Scriptures, gaze at them. Don't just take a 30-minute dose of someone else's medicine from the Scriptures. Transfuse the life of its words into your own DNA. Don't just live vicariously through someone else's relationships with the Scriptures, but develop your own personal one. Or, as my pastor in Monat, Missouri, my first place of full-time assignment, said, get into the Scriptures so that the Scriptures get into you. When the Scriptures get into you, you'll get deeper into Christ, and when you get into Christ, you overcome the world. 
You become like a tree in the desert that is always nourished and always watered and always flourishes and always bears fruit because you're planted by streams of living water. And he's actually quoting Psalm 1 here, verse 3, when he says that. The only thing that will make you like Jesus is to be with Jesus. And the only thing that will straighten your life out so that you don't do dumb things like eat socks (laughs) is to be in proximity and immersed in all that He says and teaches for all of life's chocolates moments, you know. So here's a good diagnostic for wisdom prayer in your life. Wisdom prayer takes the whole message of the Scriptures and holds it up to the life of the prayer, you and me, to see where realignment needs to occur. What I have found is that every human on the planet can find points of agreement in the Scriptures. There are characters that they relate to and appreciate, but most also are there's plenty of spots they ignore and uh, stay away from and don't like to talk about in small groups because of the conviction it brings on their own life. And they just, well, if I don't talk about it, then I don't feel it, and then I don't have to do anything about it. Um, and what we underline often just amplifies what we already believe. I'm not saying that that's all we ever do, but a lot of times we tend to gravitate to the things that resonate with what we already believe rather than challenge us in new ways to realign and be reshaped and stretched out and straightened. Um, Wisdom is taking the whole message, even and I would say especially the parts we're not sure about or that we struggle with, and speaking it back over our lives and saying, God, not my will but yours. God, I commit my spirit to you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, ask yourself this, do I take the whole message of the Scriptures Am I receiving the whole counsel of God? Do I receive the wrath of God the same as I do the love of God? Am I as ready to believe in the righteousness of God as I am to believe in His mercy? Do I celebrate the justice and holiness of God as much as I do His compassion and long-suffering? The false believer does not face it all. He just picks out and prays what his flesh craves and ignores all the rest. So discipline yourself to not skip through His Word. Uh, I, th- I think um, it's important for new believers to start with Jesus because Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh, verses 20 to 23, I think it is, or 19 to 23, he says, uh, he says that I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So we start with Jesus because He fulfills all of Scripture. So that's the, that's the easiest place to start. But after we get to know Jesus, we should take the whole Scripture as it is, in the order in which it comes, because I think God in His wisdom gave it to us that way. And I can present to you some pretty convincing cases for why. I mean, have you ever read Leviticus and thought, surely that we don't need to read this anymore? To one, in one sense, we, we don't. We don't need to read it prescriptively in most aspects, but it does tell us the story of Jesus. In fact, I just preached the gospel to somebody from the book of Leviticus. Imagine that. I don't have time to tell you all about that. We'll be here too late. But uh, I, my, under, the, my understanding and my relationship with the book of Leviticus helped me point somebody to Jesus recently, and it was really, really, really cool. Um, so we start with Jesus, but we need to develop an expository relationship with the whole script, scriptural message so that you can go deeper with Jesus and allow the fullness of Him to work into your lives. So, just application question, are you willing to pray the parts that you're hesitant to underline for your life? Do you have the courage, essentially, to pray wisely? 
For some people, to ask for a generous heart. I mean, that is a terrifying prayer. God, if I ask, if I ask God for a generous heart, He's going to ask me to give things I don't want to give, and He's going to ask me to do things I don't want to do, and He's going to ask me to serve in ways that make me uncomfortable. Do you have the courage to pray wisely, to pray that God will lead you to forgive someone who you really don't think deserves forgiveness, and they're never going to learn their lesson, and they're, ne- they, they, they're never, they're never going to say sorry to me. You know, This is the way of the wise. And the only way to blessedness, to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. Prosperity of the heart, soul, and well-being comes when we realign ourselves to the Scripture. When you realign yourself, the uh, continuing process of realignment is our second aspect of wisdom prayer, rooting, rooting. Praying what God wants over time rebuilds you into a sturdy God-shaped soul so that you are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. We root ourselves so that we grow into a sturdy God-shaped soul. On the contrary, if you continue reading, the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. Or Ephesians 4, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, talks about how uh, that pastors and teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles, they equip the saints for works of service so that that body might be built up and that they would attain the fullness of knowledge and the measure of Christ so that they would not be like infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown by the wind of every teaching and cunning or every kind of doctrine. So to be a soul that resists realignment with the whole word and will and wisdom of God is a shallow and hollow soul that's like an infant on stormy waves or chaff being blown by the wind. Uh, A practical, silly example, Groucho Marx was famous for saying, I have many principles, but if you don't like them, I have others. He was just kidding. But uh, that's, that's chaff, easily blown about by every kind of belief and opinion. The wise are like a tree rooted deeply, and I think also significant, rooted deeply right next to the nourishment, right next to the stream, right next to the living water. The roots are constantly aiming to drink from the water of life. Uh, Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings stuff, uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring, there's this awesome poem that he tells actually, I think, three different occasions, so it's a big part of his narrative. But it says, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not touched by frost. There's a lot of meaning in that poem, but I think essentially it means no matter the conditions above ground, the roots keep the whole tree stable. No matter the conditions above ground, the roots keep the whole tree tree stable. Jesus says that when you build your life on the things that he says, that no matter what kind of storms beat against your house, it will stand. Uh, Spurgeon was famous for saying, and you've probably heard this before, it was Charles Spurgeon who said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person that isn't. Have you heard that before? It's so good, so true. Now, I think what's interesting is the psalmist makes a point of saying that fruit comes in seasons, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't grow year-round. The fruit goes through cycles. In other words, what we see above ground, the flowers, uh, the juicy fruit, may not always be on the tree. 
But one thing about a sturdy tree is that the roots are always growing deeper and stronger. Uh, kind of like the dogwoods. That are, these are dogwoods, right, Bruce? Or Bradford pears. So they remind me of dogwoods a little bit. So the, the Bradford pears that are all around our property, they're like gorgeous, amazing to look at for like 10 days a year. And then they're average and sometimes ugly the rest of the year, right? Uh, and then we have to do major pruning on them, and uh, it goes through this awkward stage of growth like uh, 12-year-olds. Uh, you know, uh, But you get to see the fruit only just for this short period of time, but the fruit is yielded by what? Roots that are growing deeper and stronger. Um, life in Christ is not a mountaintop every day. Most days are ordinary. Most days include setbacks and anticlimax but they occur within a life that bears fruit seasonally. Uh, Isaiah 53 compares Jesus to uh, a root that springs up out of dry ground, but no beauty or majesty to attract us to it. A lot of times, our lives can be really, um, really mundane. And I, I say that not to discourage you, but rather to encourage you, because I encounter a lot of folks who feel discouraged about their lives because it doesn't seem like flowers are always growing. You know what I mean? So in those seasons, when you, when you feel like fruit is not showing, when you feel like beauty is absent in your life, look at your roots. Tend to your roots. And take hope in, in the fact that if I'm tending to my roots, the fruit will grow in season. So you've been aligning and realigning your life to Him and it doesn't seem to be working out. It's not yielding the fruit you hope. Well, just because you're not in full bloom doesn't mean He's not preparing you. Uh, I ask myself, what does Peter mean when he says to be prepared in season and out of season? Well, it reminded me of, uh, I guess, the most serious girlfriend that I had in high school, which is not saying much because I wasn't very serious in high school. Um, it, her dad, Steve Nelson, was uh, the head of the chairman of our finance committee and served on the church board like all the years that I was there before I went to college, and uh, he was a farmer. He, he grew soybeans and corn, and then he had, to, he had this other plot of trees. that He grew a few different kinds of fruit trees, like not en masse, but just for fun because he loved farming. And I remember Steve didn't say much, um, at least in the circles that I ran in. Maybe he was more vocal on the board or whatever. Um, but he was, a, he was a quiet, poised, deliberate man. And one time... Uh, he came to youth group, and he was our guest teacher. And I immediately thought that it was going to be the worst Bible study that I'd ever gotten, ever. And he was uh, dull in his delivery, but it's one of, the less, one of the few lessons that I still remember to this day from high school, which I think says a lot about its lasting impact, and maybe also makes the point about fruit that I'm trying to make here. But even better is some things that Steve said. He said uh, about... Uh, about farming. He said, out of season, tend to your roots. In season, harvest from sunup to sundown. So, and he said, he said, being a farmer is about a whole lot of patience. You work and work and work for 340 days a year for three weeks. And he, he said, during those 340 days, the reason farmer, farmers farming doesn't work out or could never be the job of a lot of people is because the 340 days of work causes them to burn out and lose hope that it's ever going to yield the fruit that you hope for. And there's so many ups and downs with the weather and you've, 
treating, treating the ground when the weather's not right or when the bugs come or whatever. And I just remember, I remember him saying, but when the harvest comes. He, he, said, he said, and he gives this great big grin, and he told us all about all of his fancy harvest gear. But he said, he, said, we, he said, when the harvest comes, we work twice as hard as we work the rest of the year. But then we get, every night, we get to sit down to the table and know that, the, that all the work that we're doing yields the fruit that we're partaking in now. And he was talking about how the Christian life often is a lot of, it feels down a lot. It feels like a lot of grind. It feels like a lot of uh, weariness. But it's, the, it's what yields the fruit that sustains us all year round. Um, he, he, talked about, he, he talked more about what does it mean to tend to your roots out of season. He said fruit bearing still happens out of season because you're developing soil. And so some, he said we let fields rest and we are put, putting in them the minerals that will restore them to yield fruit again. Where sometimes after you yield a lot of fruit, that area of soil is all burnt out and you have to restore it. It needs a Sabbath, or so to speak. Um, and when I was dating his daughter, he often uh, asked me to come and do rock removal. And like I'd just walk and spend hours, and all I was doing was collecting wheelbarrows full of rocks, preparing the soil to yield fruit again. And he paid me like five fifty an hour or something cheap like that. Anyway, um, but I was dating his daughter, so <laughs> what could I say? Um, pruning and planting, right? You know, sometimes sometimes you've got to prune a tree back but then you get to take the prune and you get to start a new plant. Clearing of new fields. Out of season, out of, out of season, yields just, out of season work yields just as much fruit as in-season harvest, right? The harvest is just more exciting. Dietrich, Bonho- Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, what may seem weak and trifling to us may in fact be great and magnificent to God. And Steve, again, he said, good farmers don't waste any seasons. Don't be, uh, don't be discouraged when... The harvest is out of season. Be rooted and tend to your roots. And then lastly, the third aspect of wisdom prayer is the Redeemer. So the what that we've been talking about in wisdom prayers is realignment and rooting. It's how wise people think about prayer and avoid the fate of foolishness. The how for avoiding the way of, of, of the wicked and joining Project Redemption. But to have Project Redemption, we need a Redeemer, which means more than a what, we need a who. So we have realignment, we have rooting, and, but then we need a Redeemer. Another way that the Scriptures describe the way of the wise is the way of the righteous. But Psalm 14.3 says there's no one righteous, not even one. So is it even possible to walk the way of the wise? How is wisdom relevant to us except to drive us into the ground with discouragement because our failure to measure up to the standard of wisdom? How can one psalm say, blessed are the righteous, and another say, there's no one righteous, implying that none can be blessed? The answer is a short invitation that Jesus gave to each and every unrighteous person, which is, when you pray in my name. If you trust in Christ, the Bible says you're in Christ. One time I concluded a message to somebody on Facebook who wasn't a believer within Christ, Stephen, and he wrote me this long retort back, and he said, out of Christ, question mark, Nick. Um, so being in Christ is confusing. But what being in Christ means is that, uh, is that we trust Him. If you trust in Christ, the Bible says you're in Christ. So consider this mind-blowing thought. When you pray as a person who is in Christ, in the sight of God, it is though you are praying as Christ. Yeah? Somebody say Amen. 
If you pray in my name, Jesus says, understanding that I surround and protect and pray over you before the throne of God, and you pray according to my will, it's going to be done, and you are regarded as righteous, as Christ is regarded as righteous. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 says then, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So in the end, Psalm 1 is a biography. Jesus, who is the stream of living water that the psalmist talks about, always delighted in the law of the Lord. When he was tempted three times, his response was, it is written, it is written, it is written. Take that, Satan. Take that foolishness. Take that wickedness. It is written. Tim Keller, I love this. He says, if you stab Jesus anywhere, he would always bleed Scripture. If you stab Jesus anywhere, he would always bleed Scripture. And bleed Scripture he did, literally, when he was put on a sturdy, stable tree. He was, in fact, stabbed in his hands and his feet. And do you know what bled out of his heart? Scripture, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then again, Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Simultaneously lamenting and surrendering. And he gets that from where? From being rooted in the nourishment of the words of God. The sturdiest soul who ever lived was willing to become like chaff so that we would have the opportunity to become sturdy so that we could pray in Christ and be regarded by God as Christ. So that even though there is no one righteous, not even one, the psalmist was almost right. He forgot, he didn't know fully that there was going to be one who would be righteous. And now that's how we come to the throne room of God. That's how we can come with wisdom, with lament and sadness, with frustration and anger, with penitence, and receive forgiveness and delight and blessedness. Uh, Psalm 34 says to taste and see the goodness of God and to receive the desires of our heart, Psalm 37, right? We, we are able to do that because Jesus literally bled Scripture for us, and now our source of life is to be in Christ by praying and speaking and worshiping uh, the Scriptures back to God. So, wisdom is to align and root yourself in the words of God as given to us by the Scriptures and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we... Um, just confess, this is not easy. My, as you know better than, than I could ever know myself, I am bent away from this tendency. So God, I give you praise for your provenient grace that uh, instills in me the ability and the desire to, uh, to seek something different. And God, I just give you give you praise for your grace and mercy to uh, open the door and allow us to find something so much better. Uh, God, I'd ask in Jesus' name that we would all leave here saying, God, not my will but yours, not my kingdom but your kingdom and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, teach me through the Psalms and through all of the Scriptures to pray and align my life with you, to practice being rooted, uh, to not waste any seasons, um, to be willing to go through the short-term pain of preventative medicine so that when the storms and the floods come 
and uh, when the winds blow, that uh, we would be rooted and uh, grown up in you. In Jesus' name, amen.